0: Good morning, good morning, yeah, welcome to Seacoast, open to John chapter 10 today. If you have a Bible, iPad, however you access the Word of God, go there, Uh, John chapter 10 with me. Uh, It's been great to to see you, Uh, if you were at the church picnic, I I missed you, I wish I could be there, but uh, just uh, appreciate those of you that knew where I was, that were praying for me. Becky, um, actually Beck was there, but I I have a privilege every year now, the first week of July... Uh, As a faculty member of Dallas Seminary, I come in for just one week, teach my leadership material that I teach other places, have a privilege of doing that with a group of doctoral students. And so my 4th of July looks like this. I get up at 8 o'clock, I go to class, and I teach. Uh, So they even make me work on the 4th of July. What's up with that, right? But uh, that's okay. It's only one week a year, and it's uh, very privileged to do that. So thank you as a church. I send you greetings from uh, my 18 students, and several of them said, hey, thank the church, for giving you the freedom to come and spend the week with us. Because they know that that's part of your investment in the kingdom of God. So I just wanted to pass that word on to you and say thank you. But uh, I have asked them, can you shift me off the 4th of July? You know, because I'm like to. i a picnic guy. I like, I like that. So welcome to Seacoast. Open to John chapter 10, beginning in verse 22 today. We're in a series called The Hunger Games, in which we're studying the person of Jesus and the statements he makes about himself to see how that applies to the hungers of the heart. Father God, thanks for your word. Thanks for the chance to uh, celebrate our freedoms and appreciate our country this week. you for the chance to be back together now to worship you, the real source of real freedom. So we love you. We pray that you would teach us from your holy scriptures. Man, thank you that you're a God that is not silent. Thank you that you're a God that communicates and who speaks to us through your word so we understand truth we love you ask you to teach us in jesus name all god's people said amen. amen all spring and uh early summer we've been talking about the hungers of the heart and the person of jesus just to kind of refresh your memory as jesus has been unveiling himself piece by piece through his messages and his miracles we've been learning that jesus says i am the living water drink here and you are never you'll never thirst again I am the great healer, as he heals the nobleman's son without even a touch. In chapter 5, he's the Lord of creation as he walks on the water. In chapter 6, he says, I am the bread of life. He says, eat and you will never hunger. Peter declares, you are the Holy One of God. You have the words of eternal life in John 6. In John 7, I am the gift from heaven. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm not from this place. I'm from there, so when I, when I teach you about heaven, you should listen. Because I'm not just talking as a person with an opinion. That's my home. That's really where I'm from. In John 8, it was Jesus full of grace and truth a few weeks ago as we saw him touch and raise up and and forgive this woman caught in adultery when other people wanted to, to stone her, full of grace and truth. He's the light of the world. He's the truth that sets us free as Ryan unpacked a couple weeks ago, real freedom. He takes a man born blind who's been kicked out of church, kicked out of the synagogue, and he, and he welcomes him and forgives him and embraces him after healing him. And then uh, last week, I am the good shepherd who will die for the sheep to give you life and life abundant. Next week, we're going to wrap up this series before we do our... Uh, uh, things that make you say, hmm, okay, series. That's going to start two weeks from now with Jesus as the resurrection of the life next week. But today I want to look at what I really believe is the greatest and most controversial claim that Jesus ever made. And in fact, if this week's claim is not true, then you should disavow and, 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 and have a big disclaimer over every other thing we've taught in the whole series. So in many ways, this is kind of the hinge passage This is the determining uh, transition in the life of Jesus in which we're going to see people have to make a choice and he's going to say very clearly the thing that he's been dropping more than one hint at all through this section of the book of John. So today we look at that greatest of claims. So Lord Jesus, teach us, please, and help us understand you as you speak clearly to us. In Christ's name again we ask it. Amen. John chapter 10, pick it up, pick it up with me in verse 22. Now, we just left off last week with Jesus proclaiming himself as the good shepherd who lays down his life for the sheep. Verse 22, now at that time, a feast of of dedication took place at Jerusalem. It was winter, and Jesus was walking in the temple in the portico of Solomon. And the Jews then gathered around him and were saying to him, how long will you keep us in suspense? If you are the Christ, if you are the Messiah, if you are the Savior, that's what they're talking about. If you are the Christ, tell us plainly. Now it's as if Jesus hadn't already been plain, right? But they just put it to him straight. If that's who you are, tell us plainly. Don't keep us in suspense. So Jesus answers, I told you. (laughs) I told you and you do not believe. The works that I do in my Father's name, these testify of me, referring to his miracles. But you do not believe because you are not of my sheep. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. And I give eternal life to them, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me, is greater than all. And no one, hear the repetition, okay? No one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. And I and my Father are one. note the reaction. And the Jews picked up stones again to stone him. So now you got the original rock party, right? They pick up the stones, they start stoning Jesus. And the Jews begin to stone him. And then Jesus says, I showed you many good works from the Father. For which of them are you stoning me? The Jews answered him. For a good work we do not stone you, but for blasphemy. Because you, being a man, make yourself out to be God. They understood exactly what Jesus was saying. There was no doubt about it. Jesus answered. At this point, notice his answer. Has it not been written in your law? I said you are gods. We'll explain that in a little bit. If he called them gods, that is with a little g, uh, to whom the word of God came, and the scriptures cannot be broken. Do, do you say of him, pointing to himself, whom the Father has sanctified and sent into the world, you're blaspheming? Because I said I am the Son of God. If you do not do, if I do not do the works of my Father, then do not believe me. But if I do them, though you do not believe me, believe the works, believe my miracles, so that you may know and understand that the Father is in me and I am in the Father. And therefore they were seeking again to seize him, but he eluded their grasp. And he went away again beyond the Jordan to a place where John was first baptizing, and he was staying there. And many came to him who were saying, While John performed no sign, yet everything John said about this man was true, and many believed in him there. Jesus begins this passage with a direct statement. He's confronted, and the question they ask is this, are you the Christ? Then tell us plainly, verse 22 to 24. Straight up, if you're the Messiah, if you're the Christ, if you're the Savior, that the Old Testament prophets spoke about and promised would come, don't keep us in suspense, let's just hear it out of your own mouth. And and so he answers them. And when Jesus delivers, he delivers really with three things. A response and a promise, and then I think the most incredible claim in history. A response, a promise, and a claim. Let me kind of walk you through them and show them to you. First, his clear response in verse 25. In verse 25, he says point blank, I told you and you do not believe the works that I do in my father's name. These testify of me, but you do not believe because you are not of my sheep. Now that's a surprise because I would expect Jesus to say you, you, you are, um, you do not believe and therefore uh, you're not one of the sheep, but he actually says you don't believe because you're not of my sheep. Uh, let Let me show you what he's saying. I think he's saying really three things. Number one, I told you with my words, and you do not believe. You've heard it straight from me already. So I'll say it again, but I've told you, and you won't believe. Secondly, I showed you in my works. My works support my words. You know, there's been a lot of people in human history that proclaim that they are God, or they are the prophet of God, or they are the son of God, or they came from heaven, or this or that, or that they have the truth about God. Jesus is unique. I was talking to a person just recently who's kind of questioning, skeptical of the faith of Christianity, you know, and, and the question that they directly put to me was, you know something, I, I like Jesus, I like, I like the concept, I like the idea of grace, I like all this stuff, but you know, there's a ton of people around the world that think differently, you know, and there's other world religions that have billions of people that belong to them. And so how can I, you know, what's the basis on which I should say that your, your you know, your, your words from Jesus, uh, you know, why should I take Jesus over and above this? And that's, that's the direct and honest question that I think a lot of people in our culture today have. It's like why, you know, what's, you know, okay, Jesus is fine, but who's to say Jesus trumps the other religions of the world and jesus is answering the question he says number one listen to my words listen to me number two watch me my words and my works my life my miracles Uh, not everybody does this okay jesus said you know jesus next week we'll see him raise the dead we'll see him later in the resurrection come forth from the dead Jesus does not expect us, really, to just have a blind, unintelligent faith as Christians, but instead he says, look, believe my words, believe my works. And then thirdly, he says this to them very straight up. He says, your problem is not your eyes and your ears, but your heart. He says, you do not believe because you're not of my sheep. In other words, you don't have faith. You do not believe because you're not of my sheep. Because my sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. So there's something going on here where, where Jesus is saying that at the heart of the matter is that the heart affects the head. The heart affects the head. And we know this in, in life. You know, How many times have you met someone who did something really self-destructive in their lives, and, and they say after they've done it, I can't believe I did that. I, I can't believe I did that. I mean, I should have known and done differently. But the reality is sin is that way. When when man fell into sin, it affected his heart, his soul. It also affects our mind. That the mind of humans, the mind of humanity is affected by our sinfulness. And that's why we can convince ourselves of of things that we have no business believing uh, and we think wrongfully And there is a direct connection between our relationship with God and what happens when Christ sends His Spirit to indwell us and He gives us life and we come alive spiritually and our ability to think clearly. Another way to say it, if I were to capture it in a a phrase, some of you like capturing it in short, tweetable language, okay, if I can say it that way. Here we go. Faith not only changes the heart, it clears the head. Faith not only changes the heart, it clears the head. Now, that doesn't mean that our mind all of a sudden thinks clearly about everything, you know, because the reality is we've been spending our whole life programming ourselves to think according to this world, think according to the philosophies of this world, think according to the to the thoughts of this world, you know, and, and our mind needs to be uh, transformed just as our character needs to be transformed. That's why Romans 12, we studied Romans 12 too, Uh, back right around Easter when it talked about that we need to renew our minds with the Word of God, with the truth of God, the renewing of the mind that we might be transformed in the way we live. So renewing of the mind is a process. But I am telling you that when you take that step of faith to say, my faith is in Jesus Christ, I believe, and and He, and he brings life to us and sends his spirit to live in us, that we have a new capacity to begin finally to think clearly and to see clearly. And Jesus was saying to them, look, it's because you refuse to believe that you can't see and hear clearly what my words are saying, what my works are doing, you don't get it because of your lack of faith you're not of my sheep and then he gives an incredible promise i love this this is one of my favorite if you haven't memorized this one i i recommend you draw a box around this right now highlight it with your ipad if you have that capacity whatever form you're using to look at the word of god and, and this would be high on my top 10 list for verses to kind of commit to memory so you you never forget them i love this Jesus says, my sheep, verse 27, hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. He's talking about that coming to faith in Christ. He says, they hear my voice, and they follow me. Verse 28, I give eternal life to them, and they will never perish. As long as they behave and act the way I want them to act, they will never perish. Amen. Now, don't say yes. <laughs> this is why I encourage you to bring a Bible or pull one out of the of the back tables. Okay, as you come in, if you don't have one with you, uh, always listen to God's word. Always listen to God's word. See, it doesn't say as long as you do this, as long as you do that, as long as you perform to this standard, then no, you know, then then you are safe in my grasp. No, no. He says, my sheep hear my voice. I know them. They follow me. I give eternal life to them. They will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. And then he wants to even tighten the grip even more. I love this. My Father, who has given them to me. There's a sense in which when you come to Christ, that the Father has chosen you. Don't ask me to explain it. But it's, it's, it's almost one of those unexplainable truths. But also don't deny it. Embrace it that the scriptures teach if you go to ephesians 1 for example that before the beginning of time that god looked down through time and he in his sovereignly he sovereignly chose you to be one of his children uh, and then christ through his spirit called you so jesus calls to the sheep the sheep hear his voice and they respond and they come to faith but behind the scenes even before that He says, my father who has given them to me is greater than all and no one is able to snatch them out of the father's hand. And by the way, I and the father are one. I'm really talking about one God, not two. That's clear. So Jesus is saying that we are chosen by the Father, called by the Son, and and, and therefore we follow and we receive eternal life and we are kept secure forever in the hand of the Father and the Son. It's like the grace of God has a double grip on you. And you got the very hand of Jesus and the hand of the Heavenly Father and He says, both of us have a tight hold on you and nothing or no one is going to snatch them away. Now, what he's describing here are two things. He's describing the gift of eternal life. But then he also is describing the guarantee of eternal security. The gift of eternal life and the guarantee of eternal security. Now, everyone has a, "yow Del, but what if? "yow Dale, but what if? Here's the deal. Eternal security is based on the grip that God's grace has on you, not the grip that you have on God. And at times my grip on God gets kind of shaky, you know. Sometimes I question and I doubt and I stumble and I sin and I do all kinds of stuff. But, and the reality is, if my eternal life is based on how firm of a grip I keep on God, I'm in trouble. And here's the dirty little secret. So are you. So are you. We all still sin. We all still sin. And we have a holy God. How much sin did it take to remove Adam and Eve from fellowship with God? Answer? One. See, holiness of God is to, to be separated from a holy God. Uh, you, you're in trouble with a holy God with one sin. So here's the secret is if you are counting on your lack of sin or your perfection and your obedience to god's law and everything else if you're counting on your performance to uh kind of break the curve and get into heaven the secret is god doesn't grade on the curve he grades on holiness and like the song that we sang earlier i love Paige's selection on these songs and it talks about that holy you know our our holiness is found in the righteousness of christ it's in what he did for us See, if Jesus died on the cross for all my sins, then, he, then my sins have been punished. And, and therefore, if I'm, if I'm saved by my works, I'm in deep weeds, deep trouble with no way out. If I am saved by the grace of God, and if, and if that's the foundation of my life, then grace has a grip on me, a double grip of the hand of the Son and the Father. And he says, no one's going to snatch them away. Later on in the book of John, he'll make it even more clear. He'll he'll say, of all whom the Father gives me, I shall lose none. Now, a lot of you may be already thinking ahead of me. You're thinking, yeah, Dale, but, yeah, Dale, but. Well, you know, there's always a bunch of buts in Scripture. You know, but the reality is, you know, the the reality is, uh, uh, yeah, if you... We all know people who have professed faith in Christ, and then at some point they deny that faith, they walk away from Christ... You know, and God kind of has to figure that out. But what I'm telling you is this, that when you sincerely, authentically place your trust in Jesus Christ, you are in His grace, and grace loses nothing. Grace loses nothing. That doesn't mean that God might not discipline you. Every good, loving father disciplines his children. So if you think this is permission to like go and live uh, however you want to live and, and not pay attention to your faith and not really walk with Christ and that there are no consequences to sin and that God doesn't at times discipline the backside of his children out of love, then, don't, you know, then you're mistaken. God disciplines his children. Uh, and There's even stories in Scripture where it talks about that God was so frustrated with some of his behavior of his kids that he literally took them out of the planet, he he ended their life. So, but all of that is done in, in, in the security and the love of the grace of God. So know that you are deeply loved and secured in his grace. For many of you, this is the first time perhaps that that has clicked with you or maybe even the first time you've heard it. But I'm telling you, that's where our security rests it's not in me it's not in my performance it's grace of god so what's that do does that cause me to just kind of say, hey, great, you know, I'm sleeping in next Sunday morning, I'm, I'm not going to serve, I'm not going to be involved in caring about Africa or Rwanda or Congo or Tanzania or anything else. I'm just going to live for myself, grab for all the gusto, because I know Jesus has me safe in his arms, and that's cool, so now I can just live like you know what and, and not worry about the future. No, you know, because the, the reality is Scripture also teaches that, that when you really come into a relationship with Christ, As it says in Romans 6, does that mean we should sin all the more so his grace has more to forgive? And and, and the scripture's response to that is a very, very strong, absolutely not. How can he who is saved and secured by grace uh, just kind of walk in sin and not even care? So, you know, if a person is walking in sin and doesn't even care, they probably should take a hard look at their heart and say, have I truly embraced Jesus? Maybe they haven't. Just coming to church is not the same as really embracing Jesus as your own Savior. Growing up with Christian parents doesn't mean that you've embraced Jesus. That's a choice you've got to make on your own, just as I had to and your parents had to at some point. So, the, the beauty of this great promise, though, I, I really encourage you to memorize verse 28. I love that. I give eternal life to them. They will never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. I love that. I love that. What an incredible promise, the gift of eternal life, eternal security, and the grace of God. Number three, and then he makes an incredibly controversial claim in verse 30, and the rest of the passage is built around this. He says, I and my Father are one. We're one and the same. We're one essence, one unity. And the Jews immediately, bam, they pick up stones to stone Jesus. Now, the claim was simple. I am one with the Father. And then he says, the Father is in me and I am in my Father. We are one and the same. And they pick up stones to stone him. Now, Jesus' response, though, is one of the most confusing verses in the New Testament. So, let's just call it out, and I'll see if I can help you understand it. Because it is a head-scratcher. And you can tell, as I've said before, I've done a lot of head-scratching over the years. Here we go. Okay, that was a joke, okay? Anyway, here we go. That's all right. Jesus answered and said in verse 34, Has it not been written in your law? Because they were all tweaked that he said that, that he was making himself out to be God. He says, Has it not been written in your law, I said, you are gods? If, if he called them gods, to whom the word of God came, and the scriptures can never be wrong, that's what he's saying, the scriptures cannot be broken, uh, do you say of, referring to himself, of him, do you say of me, <coughs> the one that the Father has sanctified, the Father has set apart, the Father has sent into this world, the one who clearly is not of this world but came from heaven. You can see that in my words and my works. (coughs) Then why do you get all bent out of shape and say, you're blaspheming because I said, I am the Son of God. If I do not do the works of my Father, then don't believe me. But if I do them, though you do not believe me, believe the works so that you may know and understand that the Father is in me and I am in my Father. Therefore, they came to grab him again. But interesting statement. He refers to an Old Testament passage. And I'll tell you what it is. If you want to write it down, look it up later. It's Psalm 82.6. In Psalm 82.6, there is this reference. It, it's, it's, a, it's in the psalm where God is expressing his frustration with these human judges for the fact that they were unfair, unjust, uh, part, showing partiality, not really justice, so they were unjust judges, whom God had delegated to these judges the, the, the role of, of executing um, judgment, of executing punishment, of executing decisions. And what, he, and, and, and what it is, is in that passage, uh, he refers to them as, as gods. And what he's really saying is not that God really thought that they were gods. I think God knows who the gods are and who they aren't, since he is the only one, okay? But what he is saying is in scripture, they would, they would sometimes refer to a person who God gave responsibility to, who were, a, a person that were, who were speaking for, god's, provide, for God, providing the word of God, in this case, doing the judgments of God as God's. Because it's like, okay, I'm going to let you do something that normally God does, which is bring judgment. You're doing a godlike thing. So he says, hey, you know, you are a, you're a taking on part of the role of God. So kind of metaphorically, almost like I think if you could see it written, it would be, hey, did I, you know, did I not let you be God's quote in quotes? It's almost like there's the understood in quotes, you know, because I, I've, I've entrusted you to to pass judgment on people's lives, man. That's a, that's a God-like thing to do, and I'm entrusting that to you. So sometimes in Scripture, human judges are referred to as like gods. Also, another case, for example, is in Exodus chapters 4 and 7, uh, Exodus 7-1. He says directly concerning Moses, he says, I will make you God to Pharaoh. Now, did he really say that, all right, Moses, you will be God? No, but he said, Moses, I'm going to give you the power to do my kind of miracles. And Pharaoh is going to look on you as God. So I'm going to make you, Pharaoh is going to think you're, you must be a God. Uh, I'm going to make you God to Pharaoh uh, to get his attention. And Moses did these incredible miracles. So at times in scripture, just because it says, I will make you God or you are like a God, Uh, These are references, when you look at them in their context, it's clear they're not violating the big idea that begins in Scripture in Genesis chapter 1 and goes all the way to the end of Revelation, there is one true God. There are not many gods, there is one true God. And he manifests himself in God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit. Uh, It's an incredible essence of a God who manifests himself as the Father, Son, the Holy Spirit, but uh, nowhere in Scripture can you find any support for the idea that we as humans become gods, even though that's bought into by some movements and some groups. Um, that's not what's going on here. But it is a head-scratcher kind of a passage. The main thing I want you to see is their response. Some of them say, stone him, and then the passage ends with that statement. Yet many began to believe. So Jesus' is movement takes off even further and stronger so how do i take this and say dale what do we learn from this passage that we can uh, put into our lives i think the main thing we've already hit and that is that you are secured not by your performance as a christian you are held secure by the double-handed grasp of the father and the son and the grace of god if you get that this morning that'll change your life it will change your life you'll stop trying to live your christian life to uh, to try to earn something from God. And you'll be able to give to God and, and live for God and live to please God, not because you're trying to earn from Him, but because He's already given you such an incredible gift of His grace that you want, to, you want to love Him, you want to follow Him. And that's the type of life that God wants us living. But in addition to this, I want to add one other key emphasis, and that is... We need to realize that we're living in, the, in, in a time era in which Jesus uh, and the 21st century skeptic are, are at odds. That we do live in a culture in which many people struggle to answer that question I started off with, and that is, but what really makes us sure and confident that our faith is true when compared to all the other faiths, philosophies, and religions of the world? And here's my short answer. I want to I land on this. Number one. Jesus makes one-of-a-kind claims. Understand how radical the claims Jesus made were. He says, I am one with my Father. I am the giver of eternal life. I'll just click them off so you see the image. Okay, I am the keeper of people's souls. In other words, God has given me judgment. I will someday judge the souls of man. Uh, I have have come from heaven. I'm not of this earth. I've come from heaven. And I am not only the son of man, but I am the, the son of God, but God the Son. And by the way, if you ever question whether the book of John is trying to teach that, uh, take your Bibles and go back to John chapter 1. Let me show you how the whole book starts. John chapter 1. You can Turn there real quick and listen to the beginning of John's gospel so you make sure I'm not reading this into John's gospel. John 1.1. 1, 1. In the beginning was the Word in reference to Jesus. And the Word was with God. And the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being through him. Apart from him, nothing even came to be that has come into being. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. And the light shined in the darkness, and the darkness didn't get it. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. And in fact, the Word was who? God. Can't be any more clear. So Jesus makes these incredible claims He didn't just claim to teach a better way to live, a better philosophy of life, how to love better than other people love. I mean, he did all of that also. But his claims about who he was is at the center of him addressing the hungers of our hearts. Number two, there is one-of-a-kind evidence. There is one-of-a-kind evidence that Jesus offers for his credibility. He mentions, My life and my words Listen to them, observe them. The miracles of Christ, the fulfillment of prophecy, all kinds of prophecy about Jesus from centuries earlier, fulfilled to the finest detail from where he would be born, where he would grow up, how he would die, how he would live. So much of the life of Christ prophesied and fulfilled. And then finally his own resurrection, which he said would be the ultimate final miracle to cause us to believe with confidence. So Jesus not only made one-of-a-kind claims, he offered one-of-a-kind type evidence. No other founder of any religious thought or movement ever did these things. Maybe they claimed a miracle here or there. Maybe they claimed their words were impressive. But we're talking about raising the dead and also being brought forth from the dead himself. Jesus had one-of-a-kind claims, one-of-a-kind evidence. And then if, you, if I were to say, okay, so what's the implication of this? What's the implication of this? Uh, I would take you back to a simple diagram that I first learned from uh, C.S. Lewis. I think it's in his Mere Christianity book, in which Lewis labels this diagram the, the trilemma that is created by Jesus. Now, a dilemma is what? Talk to me. A dilemma is? Two, yeah, two, two options that are kind of in, you got, it's got to be one or the other, right? So a trilemma, of course, is three choices that you're kind of stuck. You, you, you've got a trilemma, you've got to choose between these three things. And here's how C.S. Lewis explained this. I can't do it any better, so I'll just show you his explanation with my little cute diagram because he didn't have PowerPoint back then. Here we go, okay. The, the clear claims of Christ can't be denied. Even the enemies of Christ were trying to stone him because they said he, he being a man makes himself out to be God. So when your enemies get what you're claiming, it's not just his followers that said he claimed to be God. His enemies cl- said he claimed to be God. It's well documented in history. So Jesus' claims that we talked about earlier are, are clear. Now, the last time I checked, there's, when someone says something about themselves, is look, this is who I am. There's two choices. What are they? True or false? Good guess. I'm glad you guessed that because it fits my PowerPoint. Good. Yeah, so it's true or false. I don't have time to redo the PowerPoint. So the reality is, they're either true or false. Now, where's the trilemma come from is this. If they're false, you've got two choices. Either Jesus knew they were false or he didn't know they were false. And if he, you know, and that leaves you with just kind of two choices. Either he knew it or he didn't know it, right? And what Lewis points out about Jesus, when you study the life of Jesus, you know, if he, if he knew they were false, then it leads to the fact that he was a liar. And, and he was telling people a lie. He was lying about eternity. He was lying about God. He was lying about himself. In fact, he perpetrated one of the most vicious, cruel lies ever told, you know, because he, he, you're playing with people's eternal destiny. And Jesus is playing games and lying? See, whatever else you believe about Jesus, even the people that do not have faith in Jesus as we do, I don't know if anyone that just says, I just think Jesus was a world-class liar. Because his life and everything he taught and lived by would, would not line up with that. It's too inconsistent. And then people say, well, maybe he, 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 he really kind of thought he was the, you know, the son of man come from heaven, all this good stuff. So then he did, but he didn't understand it. Maybe, you know, maybe he was rocked to sleep by his mother, Mary, and Mary sang, uh, you know, you know, Mother Mary comes to you, or what? I don't, I don't know, you know, maybe she was a John Lennon fan, but, you know, whatever. But, you know, Mary was, you know, rocking Jesus to sleep every night and somehow kind of convincing him, hey, I think my baby is special after, you know, I've had the angel thing happen, you know, so the angels kind of told me he was special. You know, maybe she would just have pepperoni for dinner that night and had a bad dream. I don't know, but, you know, somehow Mary got tricked and Mary kind of tricked Jesus, so he grew up with this Messiah complex. In which case, he was a nut. He was a self-deceived lunatic. In fact, C.S. Lewis gets real funny with this. He says this. I'll never forget the quote. He says, but you know, this would mean that Jesus was a lunatic on the level of a man that says he's a poached egg. Because these type claims about yourself are just way, 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 way out of line. Jesus doesn't come across like a lunatic. Nothing in his life teaching behavior lines up with the idea that he was a deranged lunatic and you know and what lewis points out and this is something i think you should memorize get comfortable sharing this with your friends on a napkin over lunch when they say so why are you so committed to this jesus why do you why are you willing to follow jesus even when jesus and his teachings run counter to popular thought in our culture why do you believe Jesus as opposed to Buddhism, Hinduism, and every other uh, philosophy or religion of the world? Why do you have this radical, I will follow you to my death, Jesus obsession? I think this is a great way to start the conversation. Say, well, here's why. You know, after studying the life of Jesus, he made these incredible claims, either true or they're false, and if they're false, he's either a liar or a lunatic. The only other option is he was the Lord of the universe, like he said. If they're true, then he is indeed the Lord who deserves. And if you're wise, if you, wow, I just discovered the creator of the universe. I discovered the one who, who not only created the universe, but he loved mankind so much, he would come and be born as a man and, and, and live and die a brutal death on the cross for the sins of mankind. And you'd say, well, how do I know that really gets the job done? I'd say, you know something? Jesus said it. And he rose from the dead to prove it. And his life and his miracles and his prophecy and his resurrection all give me a good, honest reason to believe. So what's your reason for believing what you believe in? And what I find is people that don't want to believe in Jesus, they just choose to believe whatever... They want to believe, and they have no evidence for believing it. In fact, I was talking to one gentleman one time. I said, so, so, you know, he says, well, I still don't buy it. I said, so what do you buy? I'm interested. And he says, well, I just kind of believe probably, you know, if you do the best you can do and live the best life you can live, I kind of figure that, you know, God kind of figures it out. And if I do my, if I give it my best shot, I'll go to heaven. In fact, probably everyone that tries their best goes to heaven. I said, that's an interesting philosophy, I said, so, you know. You ever been there? He says, where? I said, heaven. You ever like gone and checked it out to see if your theory works? Well, of course not. That's a silly question. Of course, it's a silly question because you haven't been there. I'd say, well, you know, by the way, I haven't been there either. I haven't been there either. But see, I don't believe it because I've been there. I believe it because I think that there is a person who has been there. In fact, he came from there and he proved he was from there with his words and his works and his miracles and his resurrection and the word of God that is incredibly true and has bore up under the test of time for thousands of years and changes people's lives. And I got a ton of good reasons to believe. So I choose to believe what Jesus taught. So really the choice is, do you believe what Jesus taught and will you follow him, submit to him as your Lord? Or are you going to say, you know something, I'm going to believe whatever I think is true. Now listen to that statement. I'm going to believe whatever I think is true. So when a person says that, who is the person's God? Who? Themselves. I read a statement just this past week as I was doing the prep. I actually heard it, heard this spoken by a guest professor that was in my class with me. And I think it's originally from Henry Nowen who said this, it is easier to be God than to love God. And I just added the word your. It is easier to be your own God than to love the true God. Now think about that. I think it's true. Because it's really easy to say, well, you know something, just kind of whatever I think is what I'm going to believe and I'll just be my own God. I will live by my own rules. I'll I'll decide what I think is right and what is wrong. And and as long as I'm making myself happy and I kind of like what I'm doing, then okay, I'm, I'm, I'm betting on me. He said it's easier to be God and to really, honestly, love God, because if you embrace and love the God that Jesus was, then He says, "If you love Me, keep My commandments. If you love Me, follow Me." And all of a sudden, I got to surrender. I got to be- begin to realize that you know, if He's the good Shepherd, maybe it's best. For me to be okay with being a sheep. I'm okay being a sheep. And letting God be the shepherd. And smart sheep follow the shepherd. Amen? Pray with me. Father God, thank you for the incredible revelation of Jesus. Thank you for the Claims that he made, thank you for the evidence that he gave. Thank you that as we turn to worship you now in song, that we sing to the true God of the universe, who loved us so much he came as our good shepherd to die for us. Thank you that Jesus, that the Father, the Son, and the Spirit are indeed the one true God. And thank you that we are held securely with eternal life, not bought by our performance, but secured and held fast by the grace of God. If you've never placed your faith in that Jesus, maybe you've been one of those skeptics. I know for, uh, there was a time in my life where I was. And I would encourage you today to pray with me and say, Lord Jesus, um, I embrace you as the true God of the universe, the Messiah, the Savior of mankind, the one who died for my sins. And I choose today to love you, take you as my God and my Lord, in Christ's name. Amen.